We'll be looking tonight at Psalm 131, Psalm 131, and I had planned to preach a follow-up message to last week's message on submitting to the will of God, and I was drawn to this little psalm as I was preparing that message, especially as I was preparing the first point of my message. We were going to look at some of the fruits of submission to the will of God, one of them being contentment. And I was taken to this little psalm, and so I decided uh, that we would look at this tonight, Psalm 131. Now, I do plan to preach uh, next week, Lord willing, on the fruits of submission. Uh, Tonight's message, even though it's a departure, I hope you'll be able to see that it's really just a detour bringing us back to the same subject of submission to the will of God. Calvin said this about it, that in this psalm, David declares that he had always submitted himself to the guidance of God. Now, this is the 12th of 15 so-called songs of ascents. This song of ascent is written by David, the great king and the sweet psalmist of Israel. And it's been compared to a gem, and as such, it's said to be small but brilliant. And then Spurgeon compares it to a pearl and says, how beautifully it will adorn the neck of patience. It is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. It speaks of a young child, but it contains the experience of a man in Christ. So let's read this short psalm, Psalm 131, a song of a sense of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Let's ask the Lord again to help us. God, we thank you for your word, for every portion of your word. We thank you for the Psalms and this particular Psalm. And we ask that we would understand something better of your mind as we seek to look at this Psalm and learn from it. And Lord, we pray for your grace to help us. Send your spirit And pray that we would receive this word and that it would transform us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. It's a remarkable thing and a remarkably rare thing to see great men and women walking in a lowly manner. But that's what we see here in David's life. This great and mighty David, King David, Wise King David, surely one of the greatest leaders of all time, whose influence is even felt today all around the world, some 3,000 years later, through his inspired writings, through the inspired records of his life. So here we have truly a great man, excellent in many ways, and yet as we learn in this psalm and elsewhere, it wasn't the habit of David to strut around like a great man with a proud heart and with lofty eyes lifted up. And nor did he seek to overstep his God-appointed limits. 
And to put it in today's terms, he didn't take himself too seriously. But he spoke of himself as a child and even here as a weaned child with his mother. So Psalm 131 shows us a great man who by God's grace, in the words of Jesus, humbled himself as a little child. Now this is not a messianic psalm, but David in his meekness and humility gives us a type of Christ, pointing to Christ, to his greater son, the king of kings who, though unimaginably great, was also perfect in meekness and humility, even describing himself as gentle and lowly of heart in Matthew eleven twenty nine. So certainly as we read this, it points us to Christ who exhibits all of these godly characteristics perfectly. Now tonight I want us to take a look at this and I, I want us to seek to learn from David's humility and the childlike spirit of David, and also to join him in his great hope. So the title of my message tonight is Simple Trust, Solid Hope. And first we look at David's humility. David's humility, and the lesson here is basically, do not be proud or presumptuous. We see in the first place that David rejects the sin of pride, and we have that there at the beginning of verse 1. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not lifted. This is an amazing statement from an amazing person. And it's a true statement, even though David was not perfect. He also struggled with pride. You know, we sometimes see people who are proud men or women or young people who really don't have a lot to brag about, and yet they're arrogant. But that's not the case with David. Speaking in human terms, David had a lot of reasons to carry himself with lofty eyes and to be proud, and yet David rejects that sin. That sin which is so natural to all of us, it's in our hearts so naturally to be proud, but David rejects that. We're often like Jesus' disciples. Think back to our studies in Mark. We're, we're too concerned with being great or appearing great at least, or at least if not great, being better than our peers. We're too concerned with that. Just like the disciples, we see multiple times they're arguing about which of them would be the greatest. And you remember how Jesus had lessons for them. He taught them several lessons about true greatness. And the sum of those lessons was basically that the path to true greatness is not upward to elevate oneself, but actually the path to true greatness is downward through lowering oneself, through humility and becoming a servant. And on one occasion, Jesus even called a little child to himself he took that child in his arms and he said to them, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 18, 4. So we, like David, need to reject the sin of pride. By God's grace, reject 
continually the sin of pride which so easily rises up in our hearts. We need to do this in not just the obvious manifestations of pride in our lives. Our eyes may not be lofty and lifted high. We might not carry ourselves in a proud and obnoxious way. We we might not speak arrogantly or brag, boast about ourselves, all of these kinds of things that are very obvious. When people see it, they say, that is proud. But we have to ask ourselves, what about our hearts? Are our hearts haughty or lofty, lifted up? Do we secretly esteem ourselves better than other people? We wouldn't say it, but we're thinking about it in our minds. We're better than that person. We're better than that person or that person. Are we motivated, even in doing good things, are we motivated by selfish ambition or by vain, empty conceit? by a desire for our own glory, a desire that our name would be elevated, that we would be recognized, that we would get the pats on the back, and so on. Pride is something that's often very subtle in the way that it shows up. We could say that pride is sneaky. It has manifestations that are hard to detect, and it comes in many forms. Self-pity is a not-so-obvious form of pride, but it's a form of pride. A critical spirit, being overly defensive. In many cases, perfectionism, what we call perfectionism, is really a self-centered pursuit of excellence. Or perhaps an inability to say no because we want to please people, we want to be liked. All of these can be more subtle manifestations Pride, and we need to beware of these manifestations and reject them. As you look at these and other manifestations of pride and you ask, well, what's the common denominator? What's common to all of these? And it is essentially a focus on self. Pride wants self to be front and center, the center of attention, even to be above others. And even ultimately, pride wants to be above God. One man said once, pride wants to un-God God. Pride is utterly opposed to the two great commandments, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Pride is opposed to this because pride is essentially pro-self and thus anti-God and anti-neighbor. And is it any wonder then that God has such an intense hatred for pride? When we read about pride in the Bible, God doesn't go easy on this sin, we might say. For example, Proverbs 6, a proud look, and it's actually the same language, almost exactly as what we find in our text, a proud look or lofty eyes, this is listed as something that the Lord hates and even abominates in Proverbs 6. Or Proverbs 16.5, we read, everyone proud or haughty in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And notice, this is precisely what David is rejecting. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. So let us learn from David and follow the godly example of David who rejected this sin of pride. Have you rejected the sin of pride? Do you daily reject the sin of pride as it 
pops up in various ways in your life? Are you seeking by the Spirit to put to death this sin in your life, even in its most subtle manifestations in your life? Pride is a sin that will certainly kill us if we are not killing it. We read also in Proverbs that pride goes before destruction and a haughty or proud spirit before a fall. So we need to be against pride and fighting pride in our life. Now, I want to say something to my unconverted friends here. And let me just ask you, is it possible that pride is a sin that's keeping you from coming to Christ? You heard this morning a a simple message that, that we ought to just look We heard about Naaman, who was too proud, his initial response, am I going to bathe in these waters? It was too simple. He wanted something greater because he was proud. And I want you to think whether or not it's your pride, in fact, that is getting in the way of coming to Christ and simply trusting. It is humbling to repent and believe in Christ. It's simple, yes, but it's humbling. So consider, is it your pride that is keeping you from coming. Reject this deadly sin. Come to the Savior in humility and in faith. So David rejects the sin of pride, but we also further see that he rejects the sin of presumption, and this is closely related to pride. So look again at verse 1, but the second part of it, he says, Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound or too wonderful for me. Presumption. Presumption, it literally refers to taking something to oneself in advance. That's where we get the pre in our word presumption, taking something to yourself in advance. So that is before the proper time, before and without warrant or permission, taking something to yourself. For example, A child might, without permission, grab a cookie right off the pan. It's come right out of the oven and grabs that cookie before lunch is even served. They have presumed, we might even say, dared to take the cookie before they had permission. Unless, of course, mom said you could take a cookie at any time, something mom usually doesn't say. That's presumption. The child said, I'm going to take it upon myself and snatch this cookie whether or not mom says I can have it. Now, from this literal meaning of presumption, we have a definition like this. The taking upon oneself of more than is warranted by one's position, right, or ability. David rejects both sins, pride and presumption. And one man says this, that by the first of these, pride, one undervalues other people. And by the second, presumption, one overestimates and overreaches oneself. So King David says, I do not concern myself with great matters. Or we could translate it, I do not walk about in great things. Now stop and think about that because being who David is, did he not concern himself with great things, great matters? David, this is God's anointed king, God's anointed 
prophet. The man raised up on high, we read in 2 Samuel 23, 1, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is David. So by definition of his calling, David was indeed concerned with great matters. But the point that David seems to be making through the Holy Spirit, David seems to be saying that he didn't think of himself as a great man engaged in great things. Instead, he saw himself as the Lord's servant, only occupying the position that is appointed to him by God and only concerning himself with those matters warranted by his calling. So actually, I think a better translation as you're looking at the Hebrew of this would be, I do not concern myself with matters too great. So not just too wonderful, but the too applies to the great as well. David is saying, I don't concern myself with things that are too great for me. The things David was concerned with, the great things he was concerned with as a king and as a prophet of the living God were not too great for him because God had called him to those things. Those were his God-appointed occupations. So he wasn't being presumptuous to take these things upon himself. He didn't snatch the throne. He didn't presume to say, thus saith the Lord. In a word, David walked in humility before God and men. Didn't presume to take upon himself anything too great for him. He didn't live his life seeking out great things for himself, seeking to make a name for himself, seeking to elevate himself at all costs. He was doing none of that. Again, Calvin says, he did not think himself at liberty to move one step unless called to it by God. Perhaps you remember as a young man that David was wrongly accused of pride and presumption by his jealous older brother Eliab. And we have that in 1 Samuel 17. And I'm not going to review it all, but just to point out that when he was sent, David, being the youngest, and he was back with the sheep, and his father said, go to your brothers and bring these provisions. And he did that. And that's when he learned about Goliath and how he was taunting the living God even. And Eliab doesn't like what David is saying. And, and he says to him this, and this is in 1 Samuel 17, 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. See what he's saying? I know you're proud, and why did you come down here? Why are you presuming, daring to come down here and then to speak like this? But David wasn't being presumptuous. David wasn't being proud. He wasn't seeking his own glory, putting himself forward to elevate himself. David did not presume to raise himself up. What we read of again in 2 Samuel 23 is that he was the one raised up by God. Raised up by God. He didn't raise himself up. And is there not a valuable lesson 
in this as we consider the godly example of David. We need to beware of being presumptuous, of overestimating ourselves, and of overstepping ourselves. It's presumptuous when we make it our ambition to elevate ourselves. When our ambition is to make a name for ourselves, to be somebody great and to do something great, that's what we've got to do. Great at all costs. To be liked by many, followed by many, etc., etc. Even taking the best seat at a party, as Jesus talked about, that's an example of being presumptuous, presuming to take the highest seat. Jesus says you ought not to do that. Take the lowest seat, and then somebody else will elevate you. So like David, we should not concern ourselves with things too great. What should we concern ourselves with? What should our ambition be? It should be to be faithful in whatever God has called us to do. I'm not saying don't be ambitious and don't have drive. I'm saying don't make it your ambition to be great, to make a name for yourself, but make it your ambition to be godly and faithful to what God has called you to do. And if God should elevate you to the realm of great things, then be faithful in those great things and walk humbly with God and before men. Now, I've met many young men, mostly my peers, but also younger, who seem very restless and anxious. And it appears to me these young men are restless and anxious because this is their obsession to be great. And I don't know if it's something with our society today, with the pressures of social media and wanting the likes and the followers. I'm not sure what goes into it, but this is just something I've observed in my own peers and in others, a restlessness because people have to be great. And this is something, a spirit that David did not have and a spirit that we need to reject. And as we've sung, we need to be content to fill a little space if God be glorified. And I think that hymn really captures, one of the lines especially, the disposition of David's heart. When we sing, I would not have the restless will that hurries to and fro, seeking for some great thing to do or secret thing to know. I would be treated as a child and guided where I go. That's David's heart, and may it also be ours. Now, quickly, notice the second part of the second part of the first verse. David did also not just presume to concern himself with great matters, but notice he says, with things too profound or with things too wonderful and mysterious for me, says David. Things that were shut up from him. He says, I, I don't concern myself, presume to concern myself with these wonderful, too wonderful of things. In other words, David didn't reach for hidden knowledge. To go beyond what is written what God had been pleased to reveal to him, to man, to his people. He didn't delight in speculation. What David delighted in was in the law of God. He was content to leave the secret things which belonged to the Lord, to leave them with the Lord, and to hold fast to those things, to be concerned with those things which were revealed, 
which we read in Deuteronomy 29, 29, those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. But the things that are secret, they belong to God. They're his things. They're too wonderful for us. David is saying, I do not concern myself with those things. Now for David, what did this mean? It meant all that had been written of the scriptures at that time in his life, but it also included, this doesn't apply to us, but what God was pleased to reveal through David, David being his mouthpiece and his prophet. As we read about David, the spirit of the Lord, in fact, he says it about himself, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And his word was on my tongue. The word of the Lord was on his tongue. So David knew he was a prophet, 2 Samuel 23, 2. But for us, what are the things revealed? It's very simple, the 66 books that we have, Old Testament and New Testament. So in this too, we should follow the godly example of David. And this is where we have a connection with what we were considering last week, especially in times of adversity. We should not presume to concern ourselves with things that are too wonderful, things that have not been revealed in those times when it is hard to patiently submit to the providential will of God. Now, I believe to an extent we can ask why, and we can ask such questions as we have in the scriptures, how long, O Lord? To an extent, we can ask these questions without being presumptuous, But we need to accept that the secret things do belong to God and not to presume to concern ourselves with things that are too profound and too wonderful for us, which God has hidden from us in his wisdom. So to rest ourselves in the knowledge that if we don't ever know the whys or the how longs, God knows the whys, he knows the how longs, and if he deems it wise and good for us to know, he will reveal it. So you see how this applies and how you can calm and quiet yourself, not being presumptuous and seeking to take to yourself things that are too profound. So what we see is David's humility that he rejects the sins of pride and presumption. That's the first thing, David's humility. Secondly, David's childlike spirit. I want us to look at and consider the childlike spirit of David. And the lesson here is basically to be content and be confident in the Lord. Now, David emphatically declares that he has subdued himself. He says, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So his soul was once restless. And David is saying, I've calmed it and I've quieted my soul. I have composed it. It was irritated and now it's silent. There's a connection with the first point here, with David's humility. He's inwardly at rest, having rejected pride and presumption. Pride and presumption irritate the soul. They cause us to be restless. And as yet another sign of his humility, this mighty man compares himself not to a tamed stallion or something like that, but to a little baby 
with its mommy. This is humility. He's saying, I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Upon its mother, in fact, it says, like a weaned child literally upon his mother, in her arms, calmly and quietly resting. So what does David want us to do? What does the Holy Spirit want us to do to picture this? Something I think familiar to many of us. You've seen a baby, an infant, hungry and how irritated that child can be, crying and restless until his or her mother feeds. David is saying, my soul was like that, but now it's like a child that's been weaned off its mother's milk and is just calmly resting in his mother's arms. That's the picture. One man says he's drawing an analogy between the child which no longer frets for what it used to find indispensable. A weaned child. The milk was once indispensable and now no longer does it fret. Now what was that for David? From what has David weaned himself? I think we can give a few answers here ungodly desires for greatness. He's weaned himself from that. Self-importance. He's weaned himself from fretting about his condition, about his circumstances, his status in life. He's weaned himself from his preoccupation with things beyond his grasp and ability and his calling in life. So in a word, just like a little child is weaned from its mother's milk, David has been weaned from self, weaned from self to God. And that is how he has calmed and quieted his soul because he's resting in God. He is trusting in God. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. That's not just a picture of tranquility, but of trust. Trust in God and quiet submission to the will of God. Spurgeon says this, if pride is gone, submission will be sure to follow. Now you know that we are born proud and rebellious, and unless self is dethroned by God's power and grace, unless self is dethroned, we will never submit to God. And thus we will never calm and quiet our souls, but we will live restless all the days of our lives. And only the soul that rests in God, satisfied and confident in God, can be truly at rest and can be truly content, even to fill a little space in this life. Other people would look at it and say, oh, that person has filled such a little space, what a wasted life. And yet that person can say, no, I have not wasted my life because it was the space my God appointed for me and I filled it to his glory. So we've seen David's humility and his childlike spirit. He's rejected the sins of pride and presumption and he's calmed and quieted his soul. He is content and he is confident, not in himself, but in God. And also, This produces in him, this simple trust in God, a solid hope. And this is a hope that David wants others to share in. 
He desires for other to have it. So what began as a private prayer, this little psalm here, it ends, note, on a corporate note. So at first he's just speaking of himself, but now he wants others to share, especially the people of God. Look at verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord, hope in Yahweh from this time forth and forever. Now look up to verse 130, sorry, chapter, Psalm 130, and look at the end of it and notice how it ends also on a corporate note, very similar to Psalm 131. And yet here the psalmist adds to his call to hope in the Lord some reasons or some grounds for it. So we have a little bit of expansion there in verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is not just redemption, but abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He's saying hope in God. David's hope, his hope of mercy, his hope of grace, his hope of redemption, his hope of salvation, it was in the Lord alone who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and so on. This was David's God. This is our God, so he had a hope in his God. His hope looked forward, looked forward to a redeemer who would be sent, a redeemer who was promised. And yet our hope tonight looks backward to that one who has been sent, who has given his life as a ransom for many. We look back to the life, to the death, to the resurrection of Christ. And we also, our hope also looks forward to the coming of Christ, his second coming, when our salvation will be completed, when our hope will be completely fulfilled, and when all things will be made new. And so I end by asking you, is this your hope, this solid hope in the Lord alone? Have you, like David, humbled yourself, even like a little child, and simply trusted in the Lord and placed your hope in him alone? Have you cried out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? With the Lord, there's mercy. With the Lord, there is forgiveness in and through Christ alone. And brothers and sisters, those of us who say, yes, amen, this is my hope. I'm trusting in Christ. I just want to remind you again tonight, our hope is solid because it is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We have a solid hope. So let us hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Amen. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would write its truths upon our heart. Thank you for this simple psalm, and we pray that we would be stirred up to a simple faith, 
and to hope in you forever. We thank you for the solid hope that we have in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.